Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, hosted by Market Place Risk Advisory Board Chair L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on all things startups. The Platform Podcast features conversations with founders, operators, and experts tackling a myriad of topics facing the marketplace and sharing economy startup ecosystem. Please note this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not professional advice. For specific issues, please seek an appropriate professional or contact us at info at marketplacerisk.com for more information. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Elle. Hello, and welcome back to the Platform Podcast. Today, I am pleased to welcome Jane Lee, who is a trust and safety architect at SIFT. Jane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Al. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Trust and Safety Architect, I absolutely love this job title. I need to hear about it. And also, just to put it in context as well, it'd be great to hear a bit about what SIFT do. Sure. Yeah. And uh, happy to share more about that. So, uh, again, I'm a Trust and Safety Architect um, at SIFT. Uh, basically, you could think about me and my team as the in-house subject matter expert when it comes to um, things fraud related. And so prior to joining SIFT, I worked at Facebook for a little over five years working on spam detection and enforcement. Um, Spam at Facebook encompasses a lot of different types of abuse areas. I've seen, um, you know, things like fake accounts, fished accounts, um, hacking, uh, content spam. And then prior to that, I spent uh, just about a year at Square working on chargebacks and payments risk. And so that is my, um, my gamut of, of fraud, I guess you could say. Um, but a little bit more about SIFT. We are a digital trust and safety platform powered by machine learning. Basically, what that means is uh, we help companies such as McDonald's, Twitter, OkCupid, Uphold. And we basically provide them um, a fraud solution, a soft- software that helps them fight fraud, uh, primarily based on machine learning. Uh, And a big part of my role is to interface with both our internal sales product, customer facing teams, um, as well as the customers that they're working with to make sure that we are offering the the best solution for, for our customers. And these are huge companies, so I can imagine that the you know the the job is is never done. I I, I suppose, <laughs> you know, and that's actually what it's one of the really exciting things about my job. And you know, no no shade to my previous you know roles that I've had at other companies, but I think one of the things that has kept me excited about this role, and I've, I've been at SIFT for uh, just shy of two years now. Uh, it'll be two years in a couple weeks, but having to work with different companies and dealing with their unique challenges, but still, you know, fraud related, I think is what has kept me excited about doing my work. I want to say going to work every day, but you know, I'm kind of going to work Mm -hmm. in the corner of my, my house right now. So, (laughs) um, you know, doing my job. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I suppose that these uh, this is a mix, really, isn't it, of, of of big companies, of marketplaces, of social media platforms, and that there must be a huge variety of stuff that you know can can go wrong, and the way that people can attack these types of site. I'm guessing exactly, you know, and we we do see different types of fraud targeting specific verticals, but um, the way I like to describe it is it's. Um, it's like the same type of fraud, but like different genres of it, I think. So, you know, I think once you understand how it's worked at one platform or in one vertical, you can kind of um, 
anticipate how it will target another platform. Sure, there are things that are unique to, let's say, the QSR industry or, um, you know, uh, social uh, media or marketplaces. There are things that are for sure unique to each of those, but um, it, usually fraud, you know, it comes in different flavors. And I think once I've been in the industry for um, approaching on a decade now, and uh, you know, it, it changes a bit. But I think having that experience, um, either with other companies or even me personally, has made it, um, you know, I don't want to say palatable, but manageable. <laughs> Yeah. So what I want to ask about um, about fraud and fraud prevention is that there must be, you know, money and effort that goes into it. What how does a company, you know, especially maybe a marketplace, because obviously that's that's mainly our, our audience, weigh up the benefit of that to their company, their growing company in, in as much as presumably it would prevent losses but at the same time there's also an an outgoing factor there can it actually help a company to grow or just sometimes it just really kind of keep the wolf from the door uh so i absolutely and i really love this question because i think the traditional way of fraud um or fraud teams or fraud prevention teams has been uh that loss prevention, like you said. Um, however, we really do a part of where what we really advocate for at SIFT is to do that in an intelligent manner, right? So to block fraud intelligently, um, using the right levels of friction that are appropriate for whatever type of um, suspicious activity that you're seeing. And so, um, you know, I this is dramatic, but you could technically have a Ross, uh, sorry, <laughs> mixing my words, mm-hmm. a loss rate, a loss rate of 0% if you're blocking 100% of your transactions or your wow. orders or, wow. you know, and yeah, it's again, it's dramatic, but to give me an idea, and I think historically, that's where a lot of teams were at where it's, um, you know, I think you've seen this evolution of fraud teams going from being, uh, being called risk or loss prevention or fraud to trust and safety. And I really love that evolution of, of the, the terminology of what the team is seen as because trust and safety means just that it's not only are you keeping your platform safe, but it's also um, really preserving that trust and that user experience amongst your user base. So you're no longer, again, blocking 100% of users to keep your fraud rate at zero. You're allowing really, really pleasant transactions for um, users that should be be granted that. Mm-hmm. So in the past, did that mean that there used to be more kind of false positives, uh, you know, when when you people were actually blocked when they shouldn't have been? Um, and now that that that's changing a bit and this new trust and safety process is helping. Yeah, I would say, I mean, even in just my experience, uh, you know, thinking back when I was at Square in 2014, um, I am seeing false positives talked about a lot more it is becoming um, top of mind for teams I think that's uh, especially you know if most marketplaces and most businesses are in very saturated um, markets right so there's a lot of competition competitors and so what it really comes down to is how one how accurate can you be at uh, you know, keeping the bad stuff out, 
but two, how good of an experience can you provide for users that are going to continue to come back over and over again? I just a few months ago tried to make a purchase online and was prompted to um, to uh, type in my username and password. And I couldn't remember what my password was. And I didn't have a password manager on my phone. And uh, so what did I do? I found another merchant. I just went to Google, searched for the same item that I needed and found a merchant that offered guest checkout Wow. where I didn't have to do that. You know, and so that I think even, you know, that's a great example. And I, I'm hoping that people can relate to that where it really matters what type of yeah. experience you can provide oh, for the users on your platform. Yeah. That'll really give you that advantage. Yeah. Sometimes you've just got, you know, two minutes between doing this and doing that. And, and it, I don't have, yeah, I don't have time to reset my password. No, no. And it sometimes <laughs> is that process where you do end up going round in circles and, mm-hmm. you know, and then the, you ask for a new password and, and then they say you're not registered on the account yep. and then you try and <laughs> register and they say you're already registered using that email. And, ah. yep. Now talking about technology and um, cryptocurrencies you've touched on before. Now, I believe that you, um, this sounds like something from a sort of uh, episode of CSI or something, you uncovered, (laughs) you went undercover and discovered a crypto scam scheme. I don't know if I'm explaining this in the right way, but I have heard about it and I want to hear all about it from you. Yeah, sure. Uh, So um, high level, Basically, uh, so this scam is called pig butchering scam. And uh, the origins of this, uh, the term uh, is from from the scammers themselves. So they've coined the term themselves. And it originated in China. Um, and it's a, a very literal translation from Chinese. And it basically means something along the lines of like kill pig slaughter or or pig slaughtering scam. Um, And basically it's completely morbid, but basically the scammers refer to their victims that they find um, on either online dating platforms or, or um, social media marketplaces or anywhere essentially where you could connect with other people via message. Um, They refer to their victims as the pigs that they plumpen up and then eventually go in for the kill, the slaughter. Um, I, I do, I, did not and do not want credit for for terming it this myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it does not come from me. It comes from them. Um, and, but, and it sounds, as you say, so um, sort of morbid. But at the yeah. same time, it's all just to emphasize to our listeners: there's all it's all a completely virtual thing that we're talking about here. Yeah. There's no um, no butchering occurring nope. in real life. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> um, yeah. So the way you know, it kind of. Uh, came to me was we noticed this type of uh, word activity happening in our in our social in our dating network um, family of companies that we work with and so again SIFT we have this immense global data network um, and so we found this odd activity um, happening within our dating app customers that that we do work with and so I went in to investigate and being the occasional, unfortunate dating app user myself, um, I quickly recognized that it was something that I've seen before and I really couldn't place my finger on what it was, but felt very odd. There were a bunch of profiles that I would come across me as a personal user um, where they all felt very similar. Yeah. 
And, you know, and whenever you see that much of the same thing, it it, it smells fishy, right? In the description or in, in the sort of profile pictures or just I a think, feeling that you got? Uh, a little bit of all of the above. And so mainly it was, I think, one, a very um, model-esque, like really attractive looking guys. And I was like... I don't see these guys in San Francisco where I'm based. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but you know, it looked they looked very um polished, all of their mm-hmm. pictures. But it gets even deeper than that. You know, I, I do do my due diligence. And so I would see um, you know, the the way that they would describe their job titles or um their responses to some of the prompts. A lot of these dating apps have prompts that you respond to. And um they just all sounded very similar. They would either talk about the same things or say that they were um they worked at a very similar type of place Mm. um which hinted to me that you know there was some coordination going on behind the scenes like these are all a connected group yeah yeah very subtle and uh only i think if you've seen them as much as i have uh and then you know had the additional information that hey this was potentially a scam i think only when you put the the two pieces together mm-hmm. I think just just so a full picture of, yeah the yeah. perfect person you know to, to to have had experience of the the platforms yourself but also be an expert uh from you know from the point of view of the um the fraud and and scamming aspect of it it would only be somebody like you that that could maybe put these two things together yeah you know I think it's just uh the I don't like to admit that I've been on the dating apps as long as I have, but you know, when you, when you think about that and then, uh, yeah, just what I do day in and day out. And I just happened to come across this in my, uh, you know, in my work. Um, it really, um, I don't want to say it was the perfect situation because it's a really icky situation. I think mm-hmm. overall that happens to these victims, but, uh, you know, it made a good, it set it up really nicely for me to go in and investigate yeah. and see what was going on. And so, so that's what exactly what I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's exactly what I did. I rolled up my sleeves and I said, you know what? I just want to know what these, these scammers are doing. And so I basically downloaded every single dating app, uh, popular dating app on the app store, um, you know, created a pseudonym and uh, recruited one of my single friends to also do it. And we basically went um, went fishing for some scammers, and it was actually pretty quick. And so initially, what happened was, you know, you match with a few of these. Um, I had an idea of what what I thought the profiles looked like, and so matched with a bunch of them. Um, and the way that the scam kind of to outline how it works, uh, these scammers, what they will do after they match with their victims is they will quickly move the conversation over to an encrypted messaging app. Um, in my case, it was WhatsApp. And of course, the encrypted messaging apps offer that extra layer of anonymity for them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what they are doing is they're trying to hedge their risk of getting caught on any single platform. So they'll, you know, from the app say, hey, let's, um, I never really use this app or, um, hey, I'm trying to delete this app let's move the conversation over. Here's my number on WhatsApp. And so conversation carries over to WhatsApp and they initially start like bombarding you, love bombing you. Um, And for those of you that are familiar with kind of behavioral psychology, love bombing is actually a tactic that 
um, actually can be be really toxic. And mm. so what it is doing is they're essentially um, trying to disarm you with with all of their their flattery and their gifts. One of my scammer boyfriends told me, you know, this is within just weeks or like a week of matching that, um, you know, he wanted to plan a trip to Osaka with me and to see the cherry blossoms. And um, another one promised me this $25,000 bottle of wine mm. and you know, really showering me with compliments, telling me I was beautiful, everything some anybody wants to hear. And anyone that tells you otherwise is probably lying. And with these know. messages written by a, a human, or were they sort of automatically generated? In, I mean, obviously written by a human at, at some point along the way, but had they been sort of, were they actually messaging you? Was it an actual person or was it automatic? Uh, I believe it was an actual person. Right. I, yeah. I think it was unique enough where it didn't feel like it was <clears throat> like pre-populated or automatically mm. generated. It was actually resp- we, like we were having conversations. Yeah. Um, Creepy. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, from it, it starts with love bombing um, and then inevitably the conversation they start um actually this is another thing that is characteristic of their profiles they really try to pose themselves as successful business people um so you know from the profile they talk about having financial freedom or wanting to retire you know in 10 years um you know as a 30 year old and uh and so on whatsapp the conversation you know start they start sprinkling in about hey um, I'm doing really well investing right now. You know, I could send you gifts, all this stuff. And, um, and eventually the conversation somehow uh, starts involving Bitcoin. And so they'll, t- they'll ask, how's your day doing? I made this much, um, with Bitcoin. I can teach you how, if you want, um, if you want to, and I'm over, like, I'm simplifying this just for the sake of time, but these, this type of back and forth, um, carries, over a, a period of time. So I went undercover for about four months. And so I think when people initially hear me describe what is going on, they think how, you know, this sounds very obvious to me, but again, this happening, they're really, really kind of curing um, the meat, if if, you, yeah. if, I'm, if I must say. Um, but, you know, they're, they're really taking time to develop this relationship. Um, and then it becomes manipulative. They And so I had asked my scammer boyfriend, hey, you know, I'd love to learn about crypto. Maybe we can grab a glass of wine or a drink. And there's always a reason, a business reason usually, or a COVID-related reason why they are unable to to meet. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, uh, you know, eventually, you know, I I mentioned that they talk about how much money they're making with crypto investments. Um, Then, they start talking about how much you're missing out. And this is the manipulative part where they say, Hey, you're really missing out. You're, you're not, you're not making good financial choices by not doing this, um, really pushing you to, to do it. And the, what this does is it drives urgency for the user too. If you really feel like you're missing out and, you know, crypto it's, I guess currently it's, it's in a very volatile state, but there has been so much talk around crypto, especially during the pandemic. And um, really, when we first started coming out of lockdowns, everyone was talking about it. Everyone wanted a piece of it. Mm-hmm. You heard stories about people making lots of money from it. And and I think it really created this perfect storm for, for, for mm-hmm. victims to kind of fall for it. It really shows how long sometimes the the, the, the 
the process uh, is necessary to be for these scammers that, you know, this wasn't like, you know, because if you or I received a message, you know, just popped up and just said something about Bitcoin or buying this or you're missing out, we'd just delete. But presumably yeah. it's this, the length of the time that they're putting into this is because they are they're really making an effort for it to sound credible and and people are it's presumably working because people are, are being sucked in aren't they yeah they're really building that trust with their victims the other you know i didn't mention yet um two other things that make this really unique and believable um so you know eventually i obviously knew what i was doing when well i didn't know, know exactly what i was doing but i knew this was a scammer and so i finally said okay you know i'm ready to learn um, I, I want to invest as well. And so they then direct you to a basically a website that looks like a crypto trading platform or crypto exchange. Um, the When you're on that page, basically all the values that you see of cryptocurrencies are accurate. And so if you were to cross check to say, hey, is this the actual price of Bitcoin right now? Or is Ethereum actually at this price? It is because they're using some API to actually reflect real prices. Um, and so if you do just that like first level, surface level um, check, it feels real. It feels like a trading platform. Um, and so they eventually, they they initially start by telling you, hey, send over like a hundred US dollars worth of, of, of Tether, which is a, a stable coin. Um, and so, you know, send send a hundred dollars. And this platform is 100% controlled by the scammer and their networks. Wow. And so they're manipulating things on the back end. And so I submitted my my funds first. And then I think within, you know, four minutes, I made $10, something like that, because they're they're making it look as if I'm, I'm getting all those returns. Um, and then eventually they say, hey, look, you're doing so well. Why not put in $1,000? And at that point, I wasn't comfortable, obviously, um, putting in that much money. So that's what uh, part of it that makes it believable. One, it feels like an actual real trading platform where you are seeing an ROI. Um, and then uh oh i'm losing my train of thought and then the second thing that um also makes oh second thing that also makes it so believable is the scammers are taking time to understand the local area they're targeting and so i'm based in the bay area and um and one of the scammers i was talking to mentioned that they you know they were um they're going out to eat that weekend with their friends. And I said, Oh, cool. Like, where are you thinking of going? And they referred to a local restaurant. Mm -hmm. And so they really take that time to understand where that person is, find mm -hmm. out what, you know, it just makes it so believable. Yeah. It's really creepy, yeah. actually. Yeah. And the fact yeah. that this website has obviously been put together and, and created mm -hmm. with this to look that credible is obviously, you know, it's, it's this part of the time and effort that's gone into this, but it's obviously, you know, it, it, it's, it's working. So how did you lift the lid on this and how did you uncover the whole thing? Yeah. And so, uh, at, you know, I have an amazing team that helps me, you know, when I, I have, I, I am best suited to do the, the undercover type of investigative work. And so I brought this forward and um, I think a big piece that's missing is the, the publicity. So the public education aspect of it. And so, you know, it put kind of the timeline together 
mm-hmm. um, exactly from the the moment I started. This was like in October of 2021, I would say I started the investigation or I, I, I got the approval internally at SIF to do the investigation. And then, um, and then it carried out to like January, I would say. And I just very clearly outlined, these are all the steps. This is what they do. This is the profiles that, that we're, um, looking for. This is what they all look like. And then for us internally, you know, wanting, we needed to make sure that we at SIFT were accurately looking at these accounts as well. And so there was a lot of, you know, making, um, just cross checking internally with our teams and then, um, educating our other dating app customer teams of, of this, this particular type of abuse. Mm-hmm. And so does that mean that it's now, you know, as, as sort of stopped, reported, or how does it work? Does it just mean that people are aware of it? And if it doesn't, if it stops working, then people will move on to something else? Or do these people actually get, you know, caught and punished? Yeah, yeah. So I have actually, they, uh, they have kind of changed up their MO a little bit. And so I've noticed that they're, um, slight, they've slightly changed their pictures. They've slightly gotten better at the the types of responses they, they put in the prompts. Um, but when we, you know, going back to machine learning and, you know, the right technology can figure out those minor tweaks. So, you know, we talked about the rule systems where, you know, you have if this, and if this and that statements, you need someone for the, that type of detection system. You need someone to go in and manually adjust. But what machine learning can do is adapt to those little changes that happen. So maybe from a content level, you know, the, the, the content looks um, slightly different, right? So they'll use a slightly different type of picture or give a slightly different response, but what type of, uh, what type of device are they using? What user, what's their user agent? Um, what are they doing from a, you know, a tech perspective, what can we glean from a tech perspective on finding these similar patterns? Um, this is something that's harder for the naked human eye to do, if not mm-hmm. impossible. And so that's where, again, it's a lot harder for these bad actors to duplicate the actual device that they're using, right? They don't have an infinite number of devices. So somewhere along the line, um, with the right type of behavioral a- analysis, you can catch that. Jane, that is so interesting. And I've been totally gripped by this story. Um, So thank you so much for sharing. I don't think we've had such a story on the platform podcast ever before. So I really appreciate you sharing it with us. And um, yeah, and for being on the podcast and telling us about your work with SIFT. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And, you know, I think it's super important to, to get the word out because again, this it's still happening. And I think, again, the the public education piece um, is what really needs to be pushed forward as well. Definitely, definitely. Well, stay in touch. And thank you for being part of the Marketplace Risk community. And, um, you know, we really, we really love working with SIFT and look forward to, to seeing you at some of our in-person events, maybe in um, San Francisco next year. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast. Be sure to check us out at MarketplaceRisk.com for information and resources to help startups launch, grow, and succeed. And follow us on social media at MarketplaceRisk to stay up to date on all of our conferences, summits, virtual events, and more.